From Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. Today on the show, we're featuring a conversation between David Bank, editor-in-chief of Impact Alpha, and Lata Reddy. Lata is the senior vice president of diversity, inclusion, and impact at Prudential Financial and chair and president of the Prudential Foundation. David and Lata caught up at the Mission Investors Exchange Conference in Chicago. Let's jump right into their conversation. Nice to see you, Lata. Nice to see you, David. Lata is an old friend and colleague and source and mentor in uh, the world of impact investing. She's the Senior Vice President of Diversity, Inclusion, and Impact at Prudential Financial. And I think people don't know or, or are not aware that Prudential actually is one of the largest and most uh, active impact investors really in the country. Lattes, how does it come to be that a old line financial services company like Prudential is a, a you know new, new fashioned impact <laughs> investor? So it stems from our philosophy that you know we've always known as a company that we need to be doing more than just generating profits. We need to drive progress, and so part of that has been taking a lens of inclusivity, and so it was based on our founding premise. Really, we were founded to provide insurance to working families who, at the time, couldn't access such products. But our founder saw an opportunity to create a business solution to a social need, and with that, Prudential was born. And so he wanted to create a more inclusive market and a more inclusive society. So that ethos has stayed with us, uh, and that commitment to that North Star has stayed with us. And so our commitment to impact investing is part and parcel of that. And we can date our first investment back to 1931, when we made an investment in affordable housing. And after that, there were investments in small and medium-sized enterprises and mortgages to small leasehold farmers. And so things that now we would characterize as impact investments are things that we did a long, long time ago. And you guys do that as part of your corporate investment. That's This is not some other fund or some marketing, dressed up marketing. This is actually Prudential's investments that come from premiums that uh, uh, policyholders pay, right? This is Prudential's, yes, Prudential's balance sheet and out of our general account. So we are putting our money where our mouth is uh, and demonstrating that this works. Now, a few years ago, you made the, the, the commitment, I think, at a White House event uh, to get to a billion dollar portfolio by 2020. So you're some somewhere halfway or, or, or three, close. three fifths of the way there now. Uh, how's it going? Good. We have uh, over 715 million in assets under management currently, or is that the as of the end of last year? And uh, we are on target to hit our one billion. And that's not an easy lift. I mean, people don't, I think, understand that you know putting at 200 million dollars or the average of 200 million dollars to work each year is a major undertaking for for the team, for your for your managers, for for the, all the due diligence required, all the follow up. It is, yes, more than a notion, as they say. Uh, <laughs> we, we have a dedicated group, right, who does this, a team of investment professionals who do this all day long and are quite good at it. Uh, and yet, yes, it is, you know, no easy endeavor, um, but they are working hard and we've got a great pipeline and we continue to work it and look for opportunities and to move forward with the ones that are, you know, most promising. So uh, last year we were able to deploy $250 million in capital and we're looking to do the same this year and like that. Uh, we'll be able to get to our number. And will you uh, will you go? Will you just keep going? We will keep going. Uh, <laughs> we are <laughs> we yeah. That's the hope that we'll keep going. I mean, this is an important uh, part of the company's business uh, and something that it's quite committed to. Now, a good chunk of it is, as you say, in 
you know, sort of bread and butter, community development, housing, real estate, um, sorts of investments um, that are, you know, fairly well understood, but a good chunk of it is in uh, sort of cutting edge and, and, and more innovative models. It is. We started, as you know, many, right, in spaces that are now considered more kind of mainstream, uh, some of the ones that you cited, and are now, you know, constantly looking for the innovations. We're looking for the gaps. Uh, we know that capital markets aren't perfect, and so trying to figure out where the inefficiencies lie and where we can come up with products, you know, solutions that speak to those inefficiencies and then, you know, carry forward. So just tell us a little more about those gaps. I know that you have, you know, you're the you're the senior VP of diversity and inclusion. You know, there's a racial equity gap in the country. Uh, how do you guys think about that? There is, and it's something we're quite focused on. And so we are, you know, thinking uh, constantly about how we can get capital into the hands of whether it's diverse fund managers, diverse financial institutions, financial intermediaries, and what have you, because. We know that there has been a lack of access to capital for too long uh, in diverse communities and with diverse stakeholders. And so it's important to us that we, you know, move capital in a way that uh, inures to the benefit of the broad group of stakeholders that we're accountable to. We've been pushing in Impact Alpha the notion that this inclusion idea actually is a growth driver, that investing in both you know, enterprises, fund managers, as you say, uh, communities that have been underinvested is actually a way, you know, that the, the growth opportunity in those areas actually is greater because there's been so little investment. Is that just a, you know, I mean, that sounds good. Is that, does that actually play out in practice? So I, we believe that fully, uh, and I'll quote a good colleague, Angela Glover-Blackwell, the CEO of PolicyLink, who, you know, has said that equity is the superior growth model. Right, that inclusion and equity is the superior growth model. And I believe that fully because we see the way the world is changing, right? The changing demographics, where the opportunities lie, uh, certain products and markets, right, being commoditized. And so if you want to expand, right, and see growth in your business, you need to think differently, right, and more broadly. And so diversity becomes a part of that. So I absolutely believe that inclusion really is going to unlock growth. Now, that plays out in particular, I imagine, in, in Newark. Um, Prudential been based in Newark, I think, from the get-go and stayed in Newark when many others left, and a lot of the portfolio you manage is in Newark. Yes. Um, and, you know, so you see this up close in your own community. We do, and we are, you know, very much working actively with other stakeholders in the community, the city and uh, businesses and nonprofit organizations uh, and the like, to ensure that the growth we are contributing to or trying to contribute to is inclusive. And so that's everything from how the city itself operates, right, its policies and procedures, to, uh, again, the investments we're making and how we care for both people and place at the same time. So tell, we're, I've been curious about how these sort of place-based investment collaborations can tackle this thing that's on everybody's mind, which is, you know, displacement, basically. So that, you know, yes, the inner cities are, are reviving as people move back in, and they like all the amenities, and they like to be able to walk, to, you know, around. But at the same token, that tends to drive up rates and drive out, you know, local businesses. So how do you think about, you know, sort of both raising up a, you know, old line inner city kind of city, um, while not pushing out the folks who've been, you know, been, been there? 
So it's a delicate balance and just something that we're constantly thinking about and mindful of because, you know, we are committed to ensuring that everybody has the opportunity to benefit from the upside of the investments that we make. So that for sure includes Newark residents and the opportunities that they are afforded and how we prepare them for those opportunities. So it's one thing to create jobs, right, but we want to make sure that the folks who live there and who have been working so hard to create a strong and vibrant community can benefit from those jobs or if we're creating housing, right, so that people can afford that housing. So everything that we're doing has an eye towards that. So a lot of the redevelopment that we do is mixed income, right, housing. So it's got an affordability component, an affordable component, as well as market uh, rate. And so the amenities that we're bringing to the city cover a range of goods and services and price points so that people have choices, right? We want to ensure that people have agency and then the ability to act on that agency. Um, Are there some good ideas for like how the local residents can be can share in the prosperity of, or, you know, the, the rising values of the neighborhoods they live in? I mean, I think it's really a lot of the basics, right? So education, ensuring that people have access to a high-quality education, making sure that they have access to high-quality workforce training opportunities, that they are being prepared for jobs that are actually in demand, right, that meet the needs of industry. So those are things that we're focused on that we are creating the jobs that people can then step into. And these are the jobs of today and the future, not, right, the jobs of the past. So it's all of these things simultaneously that need to be attended to. And we can't do everything and nobody can, which is why partnerships are so critical to ensure that we're all playing our part so that we don't have too many gaps. Now, one of these projects, I think it's quite a large um, real estate project you guys have been involved with, a, a former department store, has a Whole Foods. Um, how, how does that sort of tick these boxes of ensuring inclusion? Yeah. So. It, in many ways, uh, the project is was the redevelopment of the Hain and Company building, and Hain was a uh, legendary, iconic department store that shut its doors about 40 years ago, and the building lay dormant that entire time. And so, it, because it's located in the heart of downtown, it was quite a visible symbol of the decline of the city, and it was really important that that asset be turned around for the same reason that it became then a symbol of the resurgence of the city, and so and the promise of the city. So we. Uh, worked with a developer to redevelop the building and turned it into a mixed-use facility. So it has apartments, 160 rental units that are, again, from mixed mix of incomes. It's got a Whole Foods uh, as the anchor tenant. It has, you know, other retail amenities. It has a new restaurant and other things that were things that are sorely needed in the city. And what the building has done, because of its location and because of the entry and, you know, the access points that uh, we created, it creates a new sense of vitality and of safety and of, right, begins to get us towards that 24-7 live, work, play environment that we're trying to build. One of the ones that I like that I think is also in Newark is Arrow Farms, um, which is a cool hydroponic, yeah. modern ag tech sort of investment, but it's also in Newark, right? It is. Another investment that checks multiple boxes. So Arrow Farms grows leafy greens. Uh, no soil. No soil. Very little water. It's um, lighting and, and yeah. So it's um, very high tech and it's located in downtown Newark, right? They're global headquarters. And so... Are they growing lettuce in downtown Newark? They are growing lettuce in downtown Newark. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and supplying many Newark families with, with local produce. And so that's the best part of it. It's a new business that's brought to town. They have brought, you know, a much needed, right, uh, boost to some of the food deserts in uh, in the city and are producing, again, this delicious local produce that is being distributed broadly across the city. 
uh, they have created jobs and they have trained local residents for those jobs. And okay, so this is a good example. Is that you guys invested in that? Do you play some role in encouraging them to invest in local, you know, talent and 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 workforce development? We do. I mean, we you know we pick partners who are values aligned. Yeah. We're coming at it right from the same vantage point of inclusion. Um, but then we do work with them around. Okay, so how can we continue to enhance the value proposition of what you're bringing? Uh, and you know, therefore, our scarce dollars can go a bit further. You guys have also been involved in a bunch of investments where the structure itself is 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 part of the innovation. So there was just one recently announced an investment in a new social impact bond or pay for success fund um, where I think Impact Alpha readers generally know, but it's an interesting model where the risk is borne by private investors, government usually, some payer, usually a government agency pays off based on the savings of that preventive intervention that generates some good outcomes. Um, that's, you know, some people think they're kind of too many moving parts and a little bit complicated, but you guys have thought that there's some value in multiplying the number of experiments on that front. We have, because we're seeing some promise, right, and some success for some of the uh, the deals that have been structured uh, up until now. And we know the importance, right, of, of creating a framework where there is rigor being associated with, right, the intervention and then measuring the results and then how that gets paid for. So the ability to do that, right, and, and continue to innovate and to help government really direct its resources, its very scarce resources, right, to interventions that work is very appealing to us. So it helps, it's not just the intervention itself, it's actually changing the way government operates on, on the, at least that's the theory, right? That Correct. they will put money into both prevention, which is generally underfunded, and also into measurement and outcomes and not just kind of churn out the, the services, but actually make sure they're working. Exactly, so that whole infrastructure, the whole framework around this becomes um, more rigorous and, and hopefully can get to a bigger scale. A similar one which sort of takes that model to the environmental side is this Washington DC water bond, environmental impact bond for stormwater management. Yes, uh, that's another fun one. So, uh, you know, DC at the municipal level, right, has the opportunity to generate these credits through stormwater retention. And so developers have the opportunity to um, do it on site on their properties or to buy credits, right, to do it uh, and have them done off site. Uh, so we are uh, made an investment to help generate the first credits that will come out of this uh, that developers can then access for their new project. So we believe that you know, there is a market for this, uh, and so we're really excited to be part of the market building piece. So you keep getting new new responsibilities and new jobs at Prudential <laughs> ever since I've known you. Every time I meet you, your business card is, got, is longer and longer. Uh, how, how, you have fun in your job? I love my job. And how did you come to be doing this? So, uh, you know, I came at this honestly. I was a civil rights attorney before I came to Prudential and was very focused on equity uh, and inclusion and brought that lens to the company when I was brought in to uh, lead some of their philanthropy. And so uh, did that for some time, left the company, and then came back in not quite my current role because to your point it has changed again, uh, but came back to oversee you know our investments, our philanthropy, and our employee engagement work, and again continue to drive that you know that inclusive mindset throughout the company. Um, so it's a position of privilege. Uh, I feel very fortunate to be at a company that gets this and internalizes this and allows me to have the platform and my team to have the platform that we have and the resources that we're able to actively manage. It's interesting, civil rights lawyer. 
So there's sort of an interesting evolution of what the philanthropist types would might call, or the foundation types might call, a theory of change. Like civil rights lawyer, you're working through the courts and through litigation and whatnot. Now you're working through investments in the market. Is that something that you've thought about, that evolution? I have. I didn't quite know where it would take me, but uh, you know, at the time, I remember when I was still practicing, uh, I had worked for, in the nonprofit sector, in the public sector, and uh, you know, was quite passionate about the work, but was frustrated by the outcomes. And realized that I wanted to be able to get to some of the more underlying structural issues, right, that were creating the problems we were trying to address in the first place. And so rather than, as I described it, putting a Band-Aid on it at the back end, right, and litigating or settling and, and coming up with some sort of um, solution, uh, wanted to get at it from the front end. And so philanthropy and investment seemed to be an interesting way to do that. And then as I got more into that work and spent more time in a corporate environment, Right, realizing the power of capital markets and how if we really want to create impact at scale, we've got to get this embedded in business models and really change the way we think about capital. So to, so on that scaling question, I mean, a billion dollars is a large number, as we say, but it's a small percentage of Prudential's assets, and then Prudential is only one of, of many. Do you think, you know, are the results such that this is taking hold? And, what you know, what do you see, you know, uh, five eight, ten years from now in terms of where this mobilization of impact capital might be? So we see a lot of interest, a lot more interest, right, both on the institutional side and high net worth individuals as well. Uh, we continue and are really focused now on, on the proof points and on actually documenting, right, the impact of this work, uh, both from an individual transaction basis and then portfolio level and then really enterprise-wide. How are we as Prudential moving the needle on these social issues, using all the levers at our disposal. And as we continue to talk about it and talk aspirationally about what we're trying to do to back that up with the data, to hopefully win the hearts and minds of folks, right, who have the same opportunity to do this. And, you know, really it's about how do we all, from whatever our vantage point is, right, how do we all think about the resources we have to drive this type of change? And so thinking holistically um, about, you know, the, the really the power that we have to create good. And you have the, um, you're, you're, you're winning the internal d debates uh, with, your, with your colleagues and your... I'm fortunate that there have been fewer debates and more uh, healthy discussions about how, right? The why has always been pretty clear to us because it's not only the right thing to do, it's a business imperative, right? And those two things are inextricably linked for Prudential. Uh, so then it becomes, all right, how? And that how has changed over the years because the world has changed. And so we're now at a, at a moment in time that requires a lot more of us, I would argue, than you know ever before, and so really trying to be part of that solution. Terrific. Well, lots. It's always a pleasure to see you and uh, and to and to talk with you, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Likewise, thank you for having me here. Thank you. Thanks. That's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thanks to Lotta Reddy and David Bank for that conversation. Special thanks to our technical producer Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha a digital media company providing news and actionable intelligence for the growing number of people working to build an inclusive, resilient, and prosperous economy and future. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks for listening to Returns on Investment.